American songwriter, we had the opportunity to talk to Josh of Small Black over Zoom video. Josh talks about growing up in uh, New Jersey and how he got into music. He talks about forming Small Black and recording their first EP in his uncle's Long Island little beach house surf workshop. And at that point, it was just uh, him and uh, Ryan in the band. He talks about adding the rest of the members of Small Black and putting out their first record, New Chain, and getting signed to a record label. Josh tells us about the progression of the band going through all their records, Limits of Desire, into the EP, Real People, Best Blues, and their most recent record, Cheap Dreams. You can watch our interview with Josh on our Facebook page and YouTube channel at Bringing It Backwards and follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Bringing Back Pod. We'd appreciate your support if you follow and subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. We're bringing it backwards with Small Black. This podcast is all about you and your journey in music and uh, starting Small Black and how you got to where you are now. Cool. Sweet, sweet, sweet. Um, so I saw the project started in Long Island. Um, are you guys, are you originally from the New York area? Yeah, I grew up in a, on the South Shore of Nassau County in Long Island. Um, kind of going to the city as a kid. And then right after college, I moved to Brooklyn and I've been here ever since. So we, uh, our first record we recorded actually at my uncle's house on Long Island and his like, uh, he kind of had like a surfboard, uh, workshop there and we, we kind of would go live there on the weekends and record because we could make noise all night that's rad yeah, it was fun we surf i mean i'm i don't know i'm i'm from san diego originally which is you real know, surfers <laughs> not real i mean they're surfers but like are there a lot of surfers in new york like is it it's like off long island can you are there waves there and stuff you can surf yeah yeah long island like the south shore yeah you know, it's a pretty crappy break, but like when the storms come in, the waves are good. And there's definitely like a really dedicated group of people that kind of live their lives or, uh, around that. Even if you live in the city, I mean, you can hop on the subway with your board and go down a rockaway and, uh, and hop in the waves. So it's, it's, it's a fun little community. It's like, they're all jealous of the waves you've got out in San Diego, but, uh, <laughs> I was just curious. People are hardcore. They go all winter, you know, it's, uh, Oh it's my, that must be freezing. Out. Yeah, for sure. We we did a video and uh, the kid in the fall, like in late October, and the kid got in the water in a, in a wetsuit. And I was like, I, I can't imagine doing this, you know. <laughs> this, so. Yeah, I mean, I, I moved to Nashville. My family and I moved to Nashville with like literally like a month and a half ago. That's why there's absolutely nothing in this room. Yeah, I like um, it. I, that- I, I was- thinking you're a minimalist uh, that's what people said I, I interviewed somebody a few hours ago that said they thought it was a virtual background <laughs> They're like is that a virtual background i'm like no i just have nothing in here because we just kind moved. Of, kind of psychedelic in in its uh emptiness i like it sure oh well, thank you um but yeah it's like i grew up in you know san diego with surfing and stuff but and i i'd have friends that would get up at like five in the morning and like go surf before school and stuff and I'm like, first of all, it's freezing out there, but I can't even imagine getting up and going surfing in, you know, New York when it's winter time and like absolutely freezing. Yeah, I think when you're into it, you're into it. You know, there's no there's there's no other option. You know, the the Dawn Patrol's out, you know, and, sure. and the best waves are at 6 a.m. So 
yeah exactly a lot, a, a lot of you know i think great passions are uh they're followed in the early morning like uh even shooting movies like you know half the time those those shoots start at 6 a.m you know i think as a musician we're in the exact opposite you know like <laughs> It's like all overnighters, yeah, <laughs> all yeah. nighters. Nothing happens until 1 p.m. at the earliest, you know. <laughs> right. Yeah, a lot of the best songs come at like, you know, 2 a.m. after some 10-hour session. So, yeah, right. it, it's it's funny. The I read a book um, a, a couple years ago called Daily Rituals, which is just interviews with like 100 artists about their process and how they work. Mm-hmm. And it's really fascinating just like how people schedule their their days. But I did find a lot of people, especially writers, uh, they love to like put in four hours of work before anyone's up, like work. From- yeah, I've heard that a lot. People get up and just like write right when they get up. Just anything that's on their mind, just just start writing it out. You know what? It, it kind of takes the pressure off of uh, it kind of looming over you the rest of the day. Like once you start putting that, putting it off and it starts to be become something that's looming i think it's like maybe a little bit harder to get started and and to to feel good about it but uh i don't know i'd like to get into that pattern but i don't see it happening yeah right (laughs) uh well so that first record recorded in your uncle's uh little little beach house that's how did you get into music originally um i've been playing in band since i was about i don't know 10 years old wow i had a bunch of dumb Casio keyboards and then I bought like a, a crappy Stratocaster and yeah, I played in bands. Squire or a better one? <laughs> Squire for sure. You got to have the Squire first. You know, I kind of hated playing guitar when I first got it because I hated the Squire and then I bought an acoustic. <laughs> I was like, oh, this is actually fun and like I can okay. make a sound with this and then I think once I bought a, a better electric guitar then I finally enjoyed it but it wasn't until i got an acoustic that I actually really liked playing that's interesting you just like this or is it because uh, were you playing out of an amp or no or is it was it just yeah, like the a lot of times non- i wasn't allowed to play out of an amp because of making noise in the house mm-hmm. and it just was a bad guitar it just was a super high action and like i didn't really understand that it was bad at the time it just was really hard to play and it made me i don't Frustrated. know yeah <laughs> I think I got a nylon string acoustic and I was like, Oh, this is easy. And I think I learned really learned to play on one of those. So how, how old were you when you got the guitar? Um, I got the, the fender in like seventh grade. And then I probably got the acoustic in like ninth or 10th grade. Okay. And for, Prior to that, you said you're in bands at like 10 years old. Like was key, you talk about Casio keyboards, but like yeah, was like piano the first instrument? Uh, I guess so. I mean, I wouldn't say I'm a great piano player. I, I did take lessons and do that whole thing. It was more like, I don't know. I was really into like sampling, like the Casio okay. sampling keyboards, which are were kind of like, in the end, the basis of Small Black was like kind of revisiting those because they're really exciting and and i had a little crappy drum machine and that was kind of the band with like two of my friends i mean we couldn't really play at all but we would just kind of yell into my tape machine (laughs) it's about how we didn't like our teachers pretty much so nice nice and then (laughs) so Uh, and from those early bands like when did uh 
when did the, you roll out into small black? Like, I mean, that must have been quite a few years later, but tell me, yeah, tell me about how your music progression after college. Um, I've been playing with Ryan and small black, like right after college, we linked up. We had like more of a, a Neil Youngy sort of like, you know, more jammy rock band project. And then mm-hmm. we just couldn't really find a drummer that was any good. So we just decided we were going to get a drum machine again. Oh, there you go. <laughs> so <that's- laughs> Make sure it's perfect every time. <laughs> it's hard to rely on so many people. So I think, but just the two of us, we kind of made the initial small black recordings. And then we were lucky enough to link up with the other two guys, Juan and Jeff, and actually have a drummer that's good. So we kind of changed our uh, our expectations of what the music could be when you had sure. to really hold it down. Okay. Okay. With uh, with Small Blacks, with that first EP, um, tell me about like like how did you meet the rest of the band? You said after college, like um, well, I know Ryan's high school band was really successful on Long Island. Okay. Uh, he was like kind of caught in like the the taking back Sunday like brand. oh yeah I mean that was a, that's a huge scene out of Long Island brand yeah. new and and their, all those their English band kind bands. of stole from Ryan's band to be honest like I'm a, sorry like those bands kind of ripped off Ryan's band what was his band called if you don't mind me asking Silent Majority what were they called Silent Majority okay I have I mean, to look them up in a nice way like but they his band was kind of doing that stuff maybe like a couple a year a couple years before they were um so i i saw ryan's band play a lot in high school and i just thought he's just an amazing guitar player and one day i just got his phone number from a friend and just called him up okay i heard he wasn't in a band anymore and i don't know we just talked about like my bloody valentine for (laughs) hours and then we've pretty much been playing music together ever since so Wow. Okay. And then you recruited the rest of the band. Uh, like you guys are best friends from college and uh, we actually got hooked up with them just from working, like recording in the studio. They were also recording there too. And we kind of just became friendly with them. They did some overdubs with us on, on stuff and um, yeah, it just kind of gone from there. Born from there. Was, was that first EP just you and Ryan? Yeah. Oh, okay. And then you and then you uh, put the the band together after that yeah. record came out. Yeah. Okay. Well, tell me about the progression of the band then. From from that first EP, did he? Did you have uh, prior prior experience like you know playing in in bands and like in in the live setting and touring or because if you're saying his band was pretty successful, I mean, were they playing outside of? Yeah, Long they, Island. They're all over the country, like very DIY, like house show um, stuff. You know, yeah, all ages, sort of straight edge stuff. Um, yeah, and our Ryan and I's first band did like a little run of U.S. touring, but kind of just just a couple weeks here and there. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, like yeah, the tour lifestyle was clearly a huge change for us, and also like it did definitely influence the kind of music we wanted to make because, you know, translating these sort of dinky Casio beats to, to a full room is pretty tough. Yeah. It's like, it does kind of for better or for worse, it does kind of shape the kind of music you want to put out there. So um, it's interesting to, to make records with no expectation of really playing them Mm -hmm. because it does free you up to kind of do whatever you want and not really think about, yeah 
And and now we do really consider like what's going to play well in front of an audience. Like I feel like we've done a record. I know one record we did, it was like a lot of the tempos were in kind of like a rappy, like 90 BPM to a hundred zone. And like, just, you just realize that stuff. It just doesn't, unless that's your whole aesthetic, like it's just not gonna, it's just odd next to some of the faster stuff in the show. It doesn't really work. And it, it's like, it's fun to go to that for a song, but like four or five songs like that are going to kill the vibe. So yeah, it, right. Right. You kind of have to like strategically work them into your set. I know. I feel like I got so conscious of BPM after our second record, after like just realizing we kept wanting to play all the songs on the first record because the new ones were too slow. So uh, is that you're talking about a new chain? Yeah. Yeah. I, okay. I think it's like more of a recording project, even more than the original one. Like, it's just that the tempos are very like we were really pulling from rap stuff a lot of the the rhythm and the beats mm-hmm. um and like trying to sneak it into like a more electro uh you know rock sure sound so i feel like the fast ones stuck around and a lot of the the more mid-tempo ones are just it just it's tough it's not something I would have ever kind of thought about until I had to go up there and stand in front of people and be like, Oh yeah, this is, it's kind of hard to bop around to this. Like it's, it's, I don't know. It's just not, it's not in the wheelhouse of what's like great for a live audience. I think most bands would tell you that all the slow ones get cut. Really? Yeah. Just because the vibe and and just keeping the energy up in the room. Electronic artists, like people want to have fun at your show. And I don't know. I don't, I, I don't have that instinct to want to kind of thwart the audience, which, you know, can be pretty fun. Like mm-hmm. there's the legendary deer hunter show where, uh, they played my Sharona for, <laughs> for an hour straight until the end. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> like that is fun. I wish I was kind of that big, that big of an ass, but I, I uh, <laughs> it's, 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 I wish I was at that show. It would have been hilarious. So. Yeah. That's so good. They just didn't stop playing it for an hour straight. Yeah, yeah, and you yeah. can't stop them, right? They're like, uh, the crowd's oh. like, oh, what's gonna, what's happening here? <laughs> we're pissed about having spent the ticket, but I mean, you were at kind of a legendary show, so you should, you know, right? Someone's thankful that you were there after the fact, for sure. That's funny. Well, with the with that first record, new chain, or not the first record, but the that with that second album, yeah. You guys put it out on a label. Like, so yeah. tell me about getting signed. That must have been a pretty big moment for you. Yeah, we signed to Jag Jaguar, which is part of like the whole Secretly group. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they had done like Bonnie Vare and yeah, some big records. Yeah, yeah, they're great. Um, I know it's like such a blur. It's a long time ago now. It was kind of like we were like at a weird, we were recording in this weird house in Delaware and we didn't have a car. So I remember we celebrated by biking to the only restaurant that was open in town, which was TGI Fridays. <laughs> <laughs> We're having a big release party at TGI Fridays. <laughs> Bluest drink they had, you know, that was just full of sugar. And yeah, we had a <laughs> party. That's amazing. And were you guys touring on the, that record? Yeah. Yeah. That was kind of like 2000. 10 was kind of our first foray into touring. We've been doing it ever since. Sure. Wow. And then tell me about the the progression up until, because uh, like just going off your Spotify alone, I mean, Limits of Desire, that record has a bunch of your your biggest songs on it. 
Yeah. Um, I think what we were talking about earlier about like songs playing well on the live arena, like mm-hmm. I think that's the first record where I really started to really consider it. We took a couple years to make that one. Um, I think the first stuff is really punky and it comes from the sort of DIY Brooklyn scene that we were in and what we were playing in. And then just from touring, I don't know, we just got better at production, got better gear um, and wanted to make something that was a little bit more widescreen rather than sort of VHS. Um, So, yeah, I think that was our first like part of this arc from uh limits of desire through best blues to the new record cheap dreams of like a more sort of hi-fi uh i don't know just like mm-hmm. synth pop sound sure sure and when, when... kind of songwriting style as as the ep and but i think done in a much grander fashion mm-hmm. with limits of desire when with those songs did you see the crowds getting bigger and like your your shows getting oh you for know... sure I feel yeah. like that was our first run as like a headline artist that was really, you know, sold out a lot of the time and um, getting a lot of airplay on Sirius and other. Yeah. And, um, Those must've been big moments. I mean, big milestone moments. I would assume. Yeah. I feel like the tour a year after limits off the little EP we did was actually like the real moment where we realized the record had landed with people. Really? Yeah, because sometimes I think we toured like right on top of the release, like the week it came out. And sometimes that can be a mistake in terms of no one really knows it yet, you know? So they all kind of want to hear the songs off the last record still. So Right, right, right. Because they haven't had a chance to really digest this new album yet. Yeah, so a year later, we realized that like, I, this is like right as streaming is really starting to pop also. So we mm-hmm. realized that a lot of people had kind of stumbled onto it. Um via spotify and apple music and Tidal. were you getting like some love from playlists and stuff at that point not or not really, really. or people well, just finding it most of our success on streaming is just kind of through the the i think people just finding it on their own we haven't really had like the that monster moment where you just get like a million plays off something most of them is from like just a know. million plays because you guys are rad or 14 million or 12 you know 13 million whatever (laughs) you know through the credibility of jag jaguar and i really thank um i think the sirius xmu station i feel like they have been our big champions and supporters on this record as well i feel like they've really opened up people's ears to our band so yeah i love that station actually i um, we used to work with the, I don't, I think he's still the PD there. Uh, Chris Muckley. He's just a great guy and yeah, for sure. huge supporter of, of rad bands. And he, he's, he knows how to find these bands. I remember, uh, he, the, he came in one time I was working for a radio station at the time and he came into like, he was working there too, as, but he was kind of more on the serious end at this time. And he came in with, uh, glass animals, like before anybody had touched the band and he was playing gooey. He's like, you know, this is good. This band's going to be huge. This band's going to be huge. And like now they're on like top 40 radio, which is blows my mind for sure. So it's, that's rad that, um, you know, they support. I'm just wanted that. I thought the thing that's rather uh, serious is really pushing, especially really serious uh, XMU. That's amazing. They've just been, they give our stuff a chance. So that's all we can really ask for. Yeah, that's great. Oh, well, when you put out Real People, that was the EP you're talking about. The the tour yeah. got pretty big. Uh, was do you think it's? 
I mean, that's a rad record, but was it because people were now more familiar with that previous album? Yeah, I think so. I mean, yeah, that we, again, we toured like right on top of that release. So people, they knew like the single, but they didn't really know the whole thing. So it was really kind of like, you know, you're just kind of going back to those same markets and, and more people have found out about it. So. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so where, I mean, it had been a few years between cheap dreams, your new record and, and the previous uh, EP that you, or you had best blues after that, right? That was about yeah. five. Yeah. So talk, talk to me about best blues. What, what would you say like the milestone moment is with, with that I record? Track boys life is like one of our best. And mm -hmm. uh was really kind of propelled that record along the record is like a bit more jammy and loose in terms of the song structures and arrangements um but of course people kind of went for the really dancey like straightforward tracks so, <laughs> you know i feel like we, we gotta follow what we're into but people kind of tell us what they they want so yeah you, you gotta you gotta indulge yourself and then hopefully something lands <laughs> Right, right, right. And then at that point, I'm you had already had prior, you know, large success with with the other two, yeah, you know, EP or the EP and and the record prior that really kind of yeah. jumped it. Um, were you playing bigger it, when Best Blues came out? Were, were the shows getting? Were you even extending like those shows to even bigger level at that point? I think we're kind of at the same level. We've got like our our the heads that are into small black and like, yeah, it, it's. Yeah. It's a good, it's a good, it's a good spot. We're, we're, we show up in cities and people come out. So it's like, it's all you oh. can ask for, right? <laughs> That's awesome. Well, and then, so, so talk to me about the past. Like, was, was there, like, there's a five year gap here. What, what, like, what was going on with the band? Like, I'm I know. I'm curious. It's like the question I keep getting asked. Sorry. Oh, no. <laughs> to be repetitive. <laughs> not, not at all. I, I don't even, I didn't mean it like that. Um, I don't really know, you know, I, I mean, coronavirus kind of, you know, is like one year chalk. Sure. Yeah. Like, we kind of had this record done, like definitely at this time last year, we, it was like, we we're just polishing it and kind of sitting on it. So the, the songs are all written and pretty much ready to go. All, end of 2019. Yeah. I mean, we had most of it in the can in August, 2019. And then we ended up kind of ditching, two and then writing one more but okay. um yeah i don't know we just got busy you know uh -huh. our drummer had a couple babies life um, happened <laughs> yeah. yeah we just got busy and like honestly we were just like why does the world need another small black record you know we've made a bunch of stuff you know i think there's a level of quality we wanted for mm -hmm. it so it just took a lot of i mean there's 11 songs on the record. We probably wrote like 30 or 40, you know? So wow, it's just kind of trying to find the stuff that's actually good and not flooding. It, it, it's antithetical towards, you know, how you probably should put out music right now, which is just throw as many darts as possible. If you're trying to su succeed, you know, that's what's rewarded by the algorithm and by uh, DSPs. But it's kind of like, I don't know. I, I really like a band that's got a really tight discography without any duds, you know, mm -hmm. like sure. for posterity. It's really nice to like, look at that album page and be like, Oh, there's like these four like really full. records that don't have, right. no, have no duds and I no album cuts as, as they call them. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, for sure. (laughs) But I mean, to not play the the game, which I really respect about you guys is you didn't play the game where it's like, all right, we're going to release a single every few months. And then, you know, and that because once the you said streaming hit, you know, 2015, 2016, it's really blowing up. You could have essentially just been like, we're going to put out one song. We're going to put one song because that's kind of what bands are doing or trying to strategically play it that way because the people don't feel like sometimes artists don't feel like their fan base or people are going to really digest the full record. But you're you're you're, you know, catering to the opposite. Like you appreciate bands that are doing that. Yeah, we're probably dumb, but uh, (laughs) I mean, I don't know. I think we put got in our heads a lot like like this track the bridge like we probably had that song done and definitely was ready to mix it in like the beginning of 2018 so it's like wow we could have put that out but i don't know once you like get in the album game like you kind of just want to come with full record full, full batch of material but i don't know it puts a lot of pressure and we we overthink and you know kind of comb over everything very closely so it's it's hard to to want to put that foot forward i am really excited honestly to have this record out and to honestly just put out some singles and do some one-off things and not feel so um so much pressure to really have this full body of work to get behind so sure and i mean but the record's doing awesome right now i mean it just came out right if you yeah, it came out Friday. Yeah, like I was gonna say, it hasn't even been out for a week. Yeah, and 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 it's doing really well. And you are, I saw on your Instagram, you already sold out like uh one of the vinyls, and that's yeah. probably pretty a pretty you know validating feeling to have. It's great. It's really great. I, I think it's just because we were kind of done with it a year ago. It's like I I'm not over the material in terms of I'm really excited to play the shows, but I really want to work on some new stuff and uh it's when you're doing that, the album cycle, it gets exceedingly hard to kind of get into that brain space every day to, Mm -hmm. to really have those couple hours where you're just screwing around and trying to find stuff because it's hard to like compartmentalize that time and really um, feel like you're going to accomplish something. If you're just sitting down for an hour to do something, I feel like it's like hour four is where I might actually find like something that doesn't suck. (laughs) Sure. (laughs) <laughs> how did the like pandemic i mean aside from maybe i mean did it pause the record at all like how did it really affect you i think for the record it, it really allowed it it just allowed us to really uh take our time on the mix and like we worked with this uh the student nicholas veranes at who's ran a studio in brooklyn called the rare book room for a long time which is like you know did a lot of the deer hunter records animal mm-hmm. collective a lot of like indie classic stuff and he Uh ended up moving out to joshua tree and over the past year or so he's been building his new studio out there so he's like not working on that much stuff because he's really in that sort of transitory phase so the the time allowed us to kind of really get to go back and forth with him a lot on on the mixes and i think get them he's such a killer and if you can just get his full ear on something you know he really can elevate it so i think just having the ability to go back and forth a bit and, and not feel pressure to get it done was probably the nicest part of the pandemic. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, you I, guys, 
you guys signed to a new label too during yeah. during this time. Yeah. What was there like? How did how did that come about? Uh, I really love 100% Electronica. Um, they're a new label run by this guy George Clanton and uh, Lindsey French, and then they're managed by this other guy Chris Burden. Um, they're just really fun. I think sometimes we're a little serious, and it's really nice to have a label that kind of I don't know, like just lightens it lightens the uh the picture a little bit mm-hmm. um and they're just really good at the internet which we're kind of stupid <laughs> you know like we just it's such a hard game man the internet is so hard like there's people that are very good at it and then now it's like a career like when i went to college you couldn't be a social media manager <laughs> like that wasn't a job fun now that's that job's not going anywhere that's like in right. so yeah it's 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 so antithetical to like when we first came up as a band, like mm-hmm. we, to me, when we were first came up, the cool thing is to like never put a picture of yourself on the internet, like be as mysterious as possible, kind of let press kind of make you, you know, this figure that's cool. And that you can't do that anymore. Like no. that, you're going to have to be the coolest person by a million. And then you're going to have to have someone you're paying who's probably telling everybody else you're that cool how cool you are (laughs) it's not it's really hard to do that like i don't know what burial would do in in two you know before he put his face in the internet and or or maynard you know (laughs) yeah yeah yeah, for sure wow good reference um yeah it's really hard to do that now it's really about just putting yourself out there to the maximum at, at all times on all these different platforms and i don't know it's hard it's not really it's not in, in my instinct, you know, sure. I, start, I think the label really helps to like force us to do some of that stuff in a way mm-hmm. that's fun. And I don't hate. So kind of push you out of your comfort zone a little well, bit. Yeah. The, it, it's fun. It's like a very tight community and like they have a weekly show at, on Thursdays. That's like a stream with all the artists come on and it's, it's really fun. It's just kind of making your own, engine to kind of promote your own artists and also to like engage with other artists that aren't on the label. So it's, it's really fun. And, and I just love the energy. It just, it reminds me of like the Brooklyn DIY mm-hmm. doing it yourself, like staying hungry and uh, I don't know, just cutting out the middleman and, and just really having your own, your own world that you, that you present your, present your music in. Sure. And so have you got, you guys obviously have had a chance to do some of those streams with them. Yeah, for sure. How, how is that? Do you, and do you guys play like a show or is it more like an inter- interview type thing or? Um, well, they basically, the whole show is in VR. It's in, it's in 3D. Oh, wow. That's... And so basically you record the performance in advance because you can't really do it. Right, he's just not there. Not there. Yeah, there's always that. Uh, that I've uh, I bring this up. I've brought it up quite a bit on this podcast. But like that early on, when everyone was doing the live videos or the live videos of them yeah. in the corners, and that band Pup, that punk band okay. Pup, did it. Have you seen that video they did? I it's, it's like them basically saying, look, all this is fake because this is what it really sounds like. And then they played a song, and it's just like this obscene, like like looping sounds of noise and just how it, the latency would just, t- it just kills it. And 
it was just really funny. <laughs> totally. Yeah. I feel like I, I don't blame anybody for, for not doing it totally live. It seems there's just too many variables with like, mm -hmm. like a show is enough variables, like the filming it, recording the audio and then the, the latency factor and it, it going live, like just make it sound. I just want to see a band sound good. Sure. Exactly. You do it, you know? Right. So you guys will put together a little like pre-roll thing and then go on the show and then they play that. Like, tell me a little bit about the live stream. Yeah, like, it's yeah. Like we've done a couple DJ sets and then, uh, yeah, you do a live performance and then it's just kind of put up, you record in front of a green screen and oh, then cool. you get put on their little spaceship where the, the show is hosted. So that's right. Yeah, all in before. So there's like a, a live element of it but uh it's fun it's like it's it's a good time and it's a good little showcase of, of the music that we do mm -hmm. is that the only chance i'm sure that you've had to play lot like live so to speak with the these new songs we we did a, like a full show that we're, we're we pre-recorded that we're going to do something with in like the next couple of weeks mm -hmm. honestly that was the first time we played the four of us together you know yeah in over a year so it was wow really it was really nice. I, I really missed it. Uh, yeah. I'm sure that the the energy, even between the four of you, if it was just, I don't know where you shot it, but I'm sure it wasn't in front of a big audience of people. It must have still felt pretty, pretty incredible. Yeah, it was great. It, just like to get back and have that first song like happening was really, really, I don't know, it was really beautiful. I, I, I can't wait to do it every night for a while. Yeah, I mean, is that the plan with with a new record just to hit the road once it's all clears yeah. up a bit? We've got touring stuff bubbling. We'll see kind of what the vaccine and and venues are able to do later in the year. But I I really hope that we'll be able to get out there. Yeah, there's a light I'm I'm seeing, especially since they're they're you know putting up big. I mean, outside lands in San Francisco or Bonnaroo and and like some of these shows and. I think Riot Fest announced that they're doing it. So yeah. there's stuff happening. And if they're willing to get masks, I mean, unless they're, I don't know how, <laughs> how they're going to regulate the amount of people that are going there. But I mean, that's like probably close to a hundred thousand people in at these festivals. So. Yeah. I think, I think all the outdoor stuff will clearly be a go. I think the indoor stuff is, could be a little you know, more just very state to state based on, regulations so. sure um i don't know i can't wait till i don't have to think about this stuff anymore <laughs> hopefully by the 2022 or whatever <laughs> no, yeah i've got my vaccine i'm feeling very brazen already so you know i'm I, i'm really looking forward to everyone else having it so yeah i gotta get the second shot um i'm, I'm only one dose in but <laughs> yeah you're, you're getting there you're almost there <laughs> yeah i'm in the i'm in the in-between period where you have to wait <laughs> so right on man well thank you so much uh for for taking time dude to chat with me of course yeah thanks for having having me yeah i have one more question before i let you go i want to know do you have any advice for aspiring artists man i feel like whatever advice i had when we first started is like just throw it in the trash <laughs> it's totally different I mean, just make stuff that you can get behind and that you feel proud to stand in front of somebody and play or sing and um, and hold on to your rights. You know, don't 
don't don't give your rights away to your songs i think it's a lot of young musicians kind of sign deals that are bad so i think just um hold on to your stuff for posterity because you know if you can build a catalog of music that's really good it can with streaming it could pay you for a long time so i think it's i, I think if you're coming up just make sure that you're getting those masters back and you're uh holding on to your stuff for posterity because it is your life's work and you know it should be something that can kind of support you for, for forever if it's good 